welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please rate and review the show. Reminder: we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360 Monday to Friday from two to three p.m. I'm your host William Liu. I'm joined by Joseph Kashar and Joe Wolfon of the Score. Uh, Wolfon, we'll start with you because Cash is still wrestling with uh, not just the music but also uh, with the with the headphones. So how are you doing? Great. That that was, I think, the most enthusiastic intro I've ever heard from you. Are you that amped up about the play-in game? I, I think I'm amped up for for seeing 20 degree weather um, for the first time in, uh, in in months in Toronto. So that was nice. I was also amped up from going to the OVO practice facility for the second day in a row. Um, I don't think anyone is prepared to play the Bulls this hard all season. <laughs> so um, yeah, no, they're they're hard at work. Cash, how you doing, man? You got the headphones? I'm good, man. Yeah. Ready to go. Got you. Notice Alex isn't here today. I guess he said play in for what? <laughs> no, Alex has been a good company, man. He's uh, he's he's attending tonight's uh, home opener nice. with, the, with the Toronto Blue Jays. I think he's uh, already turned his attention towards there. If you if you notice his his tweets have been like you know one quarter Raptors, one quarter Succession, and then like one half uh, Blue Jays. Yeah, I think that's about deserved. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. Well, um, you know, speaking of that that play in, I have to. Uh, I have an exciting news on that front. Um, so today we'll be giving away a pair of tickets to tomorrow's Raptors play-in game against the Chicago Bulls. To enter, listen for the code word in today's episode and then text the code word to 590-590. We will be providing the code word during the first segment towards the end. So probably in about 25 minutes or so. Um, do you guys want any notes from practice or do you guys just want to talk about the playoffs? Nick, say anything interesting? <laughs> Uh, no, not this time. <laughs> I feel like we've definitely collectively stopped asking Nick about, uh, his comments and his own comments that he brought up on his own regard in regards to his own future. Um, but I did ask him about how the Raptors are going to attack, uh, the Bulls, you know, starting lineup, which has four guards in it. Mm. Uh, and then also what adjustments they might make if Patrick Williams starts. Is that, is that intriguing you? You know, Wolfon, I know you're a big, uh, I mean, if he actually gave you anything of substance, that's intriguing to me. But I imagine it was all pretty boilerplate stuff. Pretty much. For the four guard, against the regular starting lineup, uh, you know, the the emphasis is playing with force, going to the glass, offensively especially, finishing through contact, you know, winning the possession battle, um, just going through, I mean, pretty much what you would expect, right? You probably see OG in the post some. Um, Scotty in the post, um, Pascal obviously as well. So there's going to be an emphasis there. If they start Patrick Williams, you know, he didn't really necessarily say, like, I'm going to change everything. But at the same time, he did mention that, you know, the Bulls do have the ability to go a little bit smaller and switch more actions to contain dribble penetration. So if I had to guess, like, this is more of a game, I'd think, for for the bigger wings rather than for Fred and Jakob in the middle pick and roll. But you guys have any Raptors, uh, Bulls play-in thoughts? I'm... I'm intrigued to see who they put on Pascal. We were talking about this sure, off air yeah. before the show started, and we were both saying like, if if they start with their smaller look, I guess Caruso. I mean, he's their best defender. He's the best perimeter defender in the game. Yeah. But um, I mean, I think they have a decision to make there with regards to do you start small and and put Caruso on Pascal, mm. uh, or do you have Patrick Williams in there? Tough decision for them. But overall, I mean, I'm just I'm intrigued because. These are two really good defensive teams. I mean, all year, it's, what, 5th and 11th. But if you go since the deadline, it's actually 1st and 6th because the Bulls have been the best defense at the deadline. The Raptors obviously have been a lot better since Yak got here. But it's also a one-game situation, and it's such a small sample size that it's not like a series where you can be like, okay, here's how it should go. Here's how these teams should look because over the course of four to seven games, they are who they are. 
it's such a small sample where it's like, yeah, they're both defensive teams who can't shoot and slog it out when it comes to the half court. But I don't know. It's a one-game setting. Like, who's to say someone's not going to bust loose for, like, six threes or something just because it's a weird, random one-off. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I'd be concerned about, in addition to the fact that the Bulls are as good as they are defensively, in addition to the fact that Zach Levine has played really well over the last little while and yep. has an argument as the best player in this game, in addition to the fact that they have play in P, Patrick Beverly. Uh, oh, gosh. <laughs> that... You know, as much as you want to say both these teams are defensive and struggle on the offensive end, that's kind of true. But if you look at half-court efficiency, which, as we know, in the postseason does seem to be more indicative of success, Mm -hmm. the Bulls were actually a top-10 half-court offensive team this season. The Raptors were a bottom-six half-court team. So, Um, Yeah, that's on first-shot possessions, though. And if you include offensive rebounds, I think the Raptors fare significantly better than that. The Bulls are not a big offensive rebounding team. The possession battle is going to be obviously a huge battleground as it has been for the Raptors for the last two years. And I think uh, also like a real big part of that and what's going to be super interesting to me is like the Bulls are a very low turnover team as DeMar DeRozan-led teams tend to be. Sure. Like he takes pretty good care of the basketball and they're – you know, he tends to be part of offenses that are ISO heavy that don't actually pass the ball all that much. And that makes it harder for teams that rely on forcing turnovers to actually do that if the ball isn't necessarily moving, right? So uh, I'm curious to see what kind of pressure the Raptors apply in order to force those turnovers because we know that their offense subsists on that. I do think it's interesting, you know, you mentioned it's maybe a game for them to play through their wings more and not necessarily through the Fred yak pick and roll that's kind of become the staple food of their offense because mm-hmm. the bull scheme is actually like they they bring vooch up to the level yeah and right i mean that that really gives yak an opportunity to get you know those those rolling chances right like four on threes as a, a guy who can maybe score if they're if they're bringing the tag over like he can still get to that that little push shot but he can also be a four on three playmaker and i actually think against that coverage that's, like, not a bad look mm-hmm. no, for, that's for that pick-and-roll combination. Like, maybe it'll be less Fred-oriented because he's not going to have the pull-up opportunities that he does against a drop coverage. But in terms of, like, his pick-and-roll passing, I think, has come a really long way. I think it's been great, especially since Pirtle got there. Mm-hmm. So I would kind of like to see that be more of a focal point, I think. I know they're going to have some of those size advantages in terms of, like, them having all these big wings on the floor and the Bulls having a bunch of guards out there, but... Like, attacking a size mismatch against somebody like Caruso or Beverly in the post, I don't necessarily love that as much as, like, you know, bringing Vooch into the action and letting mm. letting Pirtle make plays in space. Like, I actually think ultimately that's going to be more fruitful. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I, I do think that in addition to that avenue, which is definitely one way to attack it, I, I do think that whoever is being guarded by DeMar or Levine in this case, like, those guys... Pro- it's probably going to be Scotty and OG most likely. Yeah. Um, you got to give them some touches, especially early on, just to see what you can do. Because I think that's one of the other points of emphasis was just like we got to make them work. Because obviously, offensively, they're going to make uh, the Raptors work a lot. And um, you know, Nick also said, by the way, uh, Aaron Rose tossing at the end uh, a question about the second unit in terms of his, what's his confidence level in the second unit. Nick Nurse said, <laughs> uh, Nick Nurse said, really high, they'll be just fine. I, I don't know if he was completely being uh, fully honest about it but i mean what can you really say like what i have no confidence he was asked this today or on april 1st (laughs) that's a good one um yeah i mean would this be a game where you just play your starters 40 minutes i mean look 
What, or, every or regular season yeah. game is a game where Nick plays his starters and, okay. 40 minutes. Between, okay. uh, between Nurse's be. propensity to play his starters a lot of minutes in general. Yeah. Add in the fact that this team's reserves are not good enough, and this team, regardless of who is coaching, would have to rely on their starters more than most teams. And then add in the fact that it is a one-game playing-for-your-life situation. And I would be shocked if any starter, other than maybe yeah, if there's, like, foul trouble or something, I'd be shocked if any starter plays less than, like, what, 38 minutes? Like, I think every starter is going to play 38 to 40-plus. Gary, maybe if he's having a good game, will get time off the bench. I guess, like, I assume Boucher and Achua will kind of be, like, a, a wait-and-see approach where they're going to get an opportunity at some point. But mm-hmm. I think they'll also have a pretty quick leash if it's not there because it is a one-game situation. Mm-hmm. And other than that, who's getting – who? Uh, Nick's not playing more than eight guys tomorrow, is he? No. Yeah. And the three and yeah, and oh, I'd say he's only playing six legit minutes, guaranteed. Like, and then Boucher I, and Achua are wild cards. In yeah. like in case of foul trouble or right. something like that. But right. probably if he's looking at his whiteboard now and trying to parcel out the the minutes, those guys are I would imagine slated for like twelve to fifteen. The the one thing that they have an option to do um, is. They could go smaller. We we did see in their last game where they beat um, Chicago on February 28th, um, even though they had Jacoperto in, they actually closed with Scotty playing small ball five. And the idea of that was so that they can switch a lot more pick and roll actions, contain the dribble penetration, um, and live with the, the opportunities where Scotty's guarding Vucevic. Especially if Vucevic is hot on pick and pops, for example, it's harder for Jacoperto to always get out to those. You might be able to sort of close smaller. And, of course, that would really require Gary to be on his game because he would be the extra guy who will come in. But, again, this is really more interesting if it were an actual series rather than just one game. You know what I mean? So it's, it's hard to prepare for all this. Um, that's about it from, from practice. I did ask Jakoproto what made uh, DeMar's pump fake so effective. You know, he kind of just talked. I mean, Yak is a great quote. He just, he just gives you very, very straightforward answers, but he does think them through. And, you know, he was really talking about how you know, DeMar, unlike other guys, will fake like two or three times. Really, really like, you know, take shots from odd angles. And, and of course, you always kind of buy it. And of course, it's really about getting there first and then throwing the fake so that when the defender's trying to catch up, that's when he's able to capitalize. I mean, just shouts at Yak. I really enjoy him from a media perspective. Um, you guys want to talk about the other playing games? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll knock out the playing games and then we'll talk about the playoffs proper because there's there's four series already set in stone. Um, but, uh, you know, we do have a pair of playing games Tonight, um, first you have, uh, well, Miami, Miami and Atlanta. Um, Miami's won three of these matchups this season. They beat them back-to-back in March. Um, I mean, I, I, it feels like Miami's just, like, r- clearly the favorite here to me, but I'm curious in terms of what you guys think of this matchup sort of at a, at a quick glance. I think Miami should win, especially with it being a home game. And, um, I mean, I've been... I was going to say I've been singing Jimmy Butler's praises all season. I've been singing Jimmy Butler's praises for like a decade. But mm. um, I think they have the best player in the matchup. They're at home. I do think they're the better team. They should win. But again, I mean, I hate to sound repetitive, but it is it is so hard in these single game situations because it's like, as I said, it's so much is left up to like randomization and, and, sure. and, um, and variance, right? So it's like, yeah, I'm pretty confident the Heat will win. And if it was a best of seven series i'd be like almost sure that the heat will win but uh, i mean they could lose <laughs> over me <laughs> it's all-time quote man i wonder if he'll give one of those quotes after a, a play-in game but we'll see yeah. I, mean, I, I, <laughs> I, I was hoping we would get that heat sixer series just so maybe we could get a redux of that but 
I think, look, the Hawks have a better offense than the Heat do. Like, that's their advantage in this sure, matchup. Yeah. Most teams but, have better offense than the Heat do. That's the thing, clear. right? Yeah. At the same time, I think Miami's offense is, like, better equipped to exploit Atlanta's defensive weaknesses than vice versa. Mm. Even though Miami does play some defensive minuses, it, it's, like, frankly, really impressive that they've managed to sustain, like, you know, top five to seven defense over the last three, four years, despite constantly having to play these defensive minuses. But they do it. Their infrastructure is really strong. Their schemes are really innovative. They play a ton of zone. And, you know, Bam and Jimmy, frankly, can cover for a lot. Mm-hmm. And in terms of, like, you know, okay, what's what's Atlanta's bread and butter, right? It's middle pick and roll. Like, that's what they're going to run. And that... I think that's not actually where Miami's defense really struggles. Like, if you're trying to run your stuff and Bam is guarding the screener and pick and roll action, I mean, usually they're going to want to switch that. I know they're a little bit vulnerable on the backside of those switches because they don't have a ton of size and they don't have great rim protection behind it. But, I mean, we've seen that take Trey out of his rhythm a ton. They completely smothered him in the playoffs last year. Mm -hmm. Um, But even if they're not switching it and they've had Bam dropping back a little bit more this season, like – in terms of their help principles and and the way that they have guys helping and stunting from the wing, I I, I don't know. I, I just feel like they have a pretty good beat on how to handle that Hawks offense. And I don't know, maybe now that Quinn Snyder is there, they have some more knuckleballs that they can throw. But generally, I think that the issue with Atlanta's offense is how predictable it is. Like, people know what they're trying to do and what mm-hmm. they want to get to, and that makes it easy to to game plan for in a lot of ways. And at the same time, like, you have Trey who can just – be a scheme buster, even if you know exactly what's coming. Yeah. But I, I trust Miami's defense more so than I trust Atlanta's defense to deal with, like, you know, Jimmy basically just hunting Trey, like pulling him into action over and over and over and over again and making yeah. the Hawks figure it out. You know, what are you going to do? Are you going to are you gonna switch it? Are you going to put two on the ball and let us play out of that? Uh, they, they, they Again, Miami's offense hasn't been great all season, but – they have that button that they can push, whereas I don't know that the Hawks have that same button. Like, there's not the same sort of vulnerability, I don't think, in Miami's defense. Yeah, I mean, you know, what you're speaking to right there is, like, both, like, the the gift and the curse of having Trey on the team, and obviously he's he's very productive, but there are certain trade-offs that come with it. Um, You've already heard reports that, you know, I think Kevin O'Connor put it out there that the Hawks front office has the green light to trade Trey Young this summer if they want to. Um, first off, I would hope so. I mean, that's what the front office is there to do, make decisions. So if they, you know, hopefully they have the green light to do some things like that. But yeah, if you had to guess, do you think Trey Young's on Atlanta next year? I would still say yes, but I think next year would perhaps be the make or break year. Like I feel like they went out and hired Quinn Snyder. Right. You probably want to see what a Trey Young led offense looks like with a full year of Quinn Snyder or at least like coming out of training camp and him having an ability to like set the team and the offensive function and everything the way he wants it as opposed to hiring Quinn Snyder Trey plays for him for like two months you know Wolfon uh, made a good point about how a Quinn Snyder offense can throw more knuckleballs at you and is can be more complex than most offensive schemes and and stuff like that but it's hard to implement all that with two months left in the season when you're a coach that takes over midseason for mm-hmm. a team that is trying to win now. So yeah. I just think it wouldn't really make sense unless they're so blown away by an offer that they literally think, like, we'll never get better than this for Trey. But I have a hard time believing that'll be the case. So 
I think he's got one year left in him. And I think it's actually interesting, not that this is one of the topics we're going to talk about today, the parallels with him and Luca, where, mm. you know, same draft class, obviously the picks that like, they were traded for each other, Atlanta did technically choose Trey over Luca, And then for a while it was like, well, Dallas obviously got the better end of that deal. And they very much did. Luca's the better player. Yeah, clearly. But then, you know, Trey had the postseason success first, and then Luca goes to the conference finals last year. And they now they both look like they ended up in maybe not ideal situations or with teams that haven't properly built around them. And they obviously share some blame in that too. But it is interesting how, what, four or five years into both of their careers, they remain very tethered and on these kind of parallel courses mm. that have them both, you know, in Luca's case, different because the rumor is more that he might ask out as soon as 2024. Right, right. Whereas with Trey, it's that the Hawks might actually be willing to let him go. But it is interesting that they are in those talks already. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see what the trade market looks like for a guy like Trey. I don't think he's a fit here in Toronto, to be honest. Um, but, I mean, I think, I don't know. Um, I mean, <laughs> he's not not a fit. Okay, right? all right, maybe I'll ask the <laughs> Look, question he, then. He Let's is, as flawed as he is on the defensive end, and I get that, one, he is an unfathomably good offensive player. Yeah, of course. Who can score and create for others with the best of them. And he's going to have Jakob Proto averaging 20 points a game. And, and listen, <laughs> he's also going to have guys like OG griping right. about their roles even more. Yeah, that, I know. And, yeah. and uh, as I was going to say, definitely there are challenges even on the offensive end, both mm-hmm. in terms of how offenses run when he's involved with them and, and how his teammates receive that offense. But I will say for anyone that kind of just scoffs at it because of the defense or any concerns that are there, which I completely understand. The thing I always tell people is when they bring up like, kind of flawed stars like Trey and think, wow, I wouldn't want him or whatever. It's like there are maybe a handful of superstars in the NBA that are flawed. Like I don't even think there's any. Like that are completely flawless where you can just be like, I'll take that guy. There's there's not a flaw. Like a lot of superstars do still come with a flaw here or there that make building teams around them not ideal. You know, like it's not, there. there is a handful. And yeah, like, if your argument for not wanting Trey is simply, well, he's not one of those five guys, it's like, okay, but then... You're not making at, a lot of trades. Right, at that yeah, point, yeah, you're never yeah. going to trade for a star unless it's one of these, like, once-in-a-generation stars. And again, I will give you, Trey does come with more warts, let's say, let's say than most stars at that level. Mm. But I don't think it's as easy as some people make it seem when it's just like, oh, he sucks at defense and guys don't like playing with him. I would never trade for him. I think it's a little deeper than that. Well, it's deeper than that in that there's a difference between sucking at defense and being, you know, <laughs> literally one of the five worst yes. big-minute defenders in the yeah. league, which he has been pretty much since he got drafted. So it comes with more complications, I think, than most of those other stars that you would put in that bucket of being, oh, really good, but kind of flawed. Uh, at the same time, I think, you know, the talent is undeniable and would be really difficult to pass up if you had an opportunity to acquire him. But I think what is potentially going to be prohibitive for teams is like, okay, well, you've got to put something serious on the table to get him. And then it's like, to what extent are you compromising the infrastructure that would theoretically protect someone like Trey Young or help amplify him? And, you know, like in the Raptors case, like start thinking about what it would cost and maybe you start to get a bit skittish about what the team would look like afterwards, you know, and and would there really be enough there to make that worthwhile? You know, I would... Because you still don't know if you'd be have good to trade it. a lot of the guys that you would want to keep if right. you had Trey Young. <laughs> exactly. Because no, this is how the phone call is going to go with Landry Fields, which, by the way, it's kind of funny yeah. that Landry he Fields is their is GM now. now. Shout out to Landry Fields, man. Raptors legend. Not really. Um, like, but, Landry, remember when, you did, when we did you that solid? 
gave you that three-year deal so that what, what was it so that so that they were the trying Knicks to block the, the points so, so the Knicks couldn't sign Steve Nash, Steve Nash. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah which by the way Steve we're, Nash did not sign with the Knicks or Toronto they, yeah. he signed in, in LA but it led to Kyle Lowry being here that Kyle Lowry was plan B by the way so right. uh yeah. that all worked, worked out, out well um but what Landry's going to say is that he's going to be like, well, first off, um, stop playing the PS Vita commercial. Delete that off YouTube if you haven't seen it already. And the second thing will be, um, yeah, give me Scotty. Of course, the Raptors will say no. But then he'll be like, fine, give me uh, Pascal. You probably The Raptors probably still say no. I mean, I, prob- I wouldn't say yes to trade for Pascal, especially given the roster construct. Maybe. Maybe you guys would say yes. You guys are looking more like closely. Uh, you guys having a conversation about this? I would, I would have a conversation about it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't jump at the opportunity to trade Pascal Siakam for Trey Young, but I think you'd have to at least have a conversation about it, again, depending on what's on the table and, like, the kind of team you can then surround Trey with. Like, hmm. I think it's for at least taste, a conversation he's too big a defensive I mean, liability, man. He's just, just... But, of course, offensively, I get the case. There's no doubt. Yeah. Yo, I will say, and I will follow notes because I brought this up a, a hundred times talking about the Hawks over the last couple of years. I'm, I'm not giving any credit to Trey Young on the defensive end. Far from that. But as bad as he is... The Hawks have cobbled together decent defensive units at times with him even on the court. And their starting lineup is an example of that. Like two of the last three years, their starters' defensive rating has been pretty much elite, even with, like that's obviously including him as their starters. So as bad as he is, there's not really evidence to suggest that like it's impossible to defend with him on the court. Is it harder? Mm. Absolutely. Do you have to be very careful about who you surround him with and your roster construction? Absolutely. But it's not impossible. Okay. It's far from it, actually. Well, I mean, the, the other thing, too, I was just like, well, who do you pair him with, right? Because assuming you, you bring Trey in, Fred's gone. Oh, is he? What? You can't go with a Fred-Trey backcourt, man. That's not going to work. I think it's maybe... It's so okay, small. So, like, so, you would literally be building the smallest backcourt in the league. Right. Well, I mean, like, Fred... I, I know Kyle no, has, fu- has functional size that is different from Trey Young's, yeah, but yeah, yeah. in terms of just, like, raw height, Kyle is shorter, so... Yeah. We, we've already... Listen... I think if this was like Fred of last year or a couple of years ago, I think it can work. I think maybe with, so with, with Fred as a, as, a, as a somewhat diminished defender, it becomes less tenable. But there was a point in time where I think that could have actually really worked because Fred is, I mean, he's still incredible in help, right? It's more that now you're looking at potentially having two on-ball defensive liabilities at the point of attack. Whereas, like, Fred previously was, like, elite on the ball and elite off the ball, mm-hmm. where you could rely on him to, like, contain dribble penetration and maybe stop the ball at the point of attack, but then also provide cover for Trey with the way that he can help. Whereas now, like, you're still getting that help, but I don't, we, we've gotten yeah. really in the weeds talking no, about this, yeah. this completely this, ludicrous this, hypothetical. This thing's but, not going to happen. It really is not going to happen. I mean, like, they might even call for OG. At that point, you might have to have a conversation, I, I might think. But even then, I mean, like, OG's the exact kind of guy you want to keep around so exactly. that you can protect Trey. This is what, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, the, the conversation idea was just sort of like, he's, he's an awkward guy to trade for, uh, even though his, his stats are great. I, I think the other relevant Raptor question I had based on this one play-in game um, is, uh, who would you rather face if, you, if you're the Raptors? Because obviously the Raptors, if they win tomorrow, um, they still have to play the loser of the, the two between Miami and Atlanta. Which team do you think the Raptors have a better chance against? I feel like they low-key match up better with Miami than Atlanta. Okay, so I have not been able to contain Trey Young at all. I do get that in theory, and the regular season results actually um, back that argument up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I still think there's something to be said of, like, sometimes the easiest answer is just right there for you, and it's like, if you ask me 
would I rather the Raptors have to go to Atlanta and beat Trey Young's Atlanta Hawks or go to Miami and beat Jimmy Butler's Miami Heat in a one game? I'm just being serious. Sometimes it really is that easy. And though it does seem that they might match up better against Miami in a one game setting, I I just think the Hawks are way more gettable than the Heat are. That's not to say, like, I think it's impossible that they beat the Heat, but I would trust Miami to take care of business more in that situation than I would Atlanta. I agree. And to sort of take it back to what we were talking about before, where like Atlanta is the better offensive team. Like the Raptors have struggled more mm-hmm. with Atlanta's offense than they have with Miami's in a situation where you can prepare for a single opponent rather than, okay, this is our scheme and we run it throughout the regular season. I know there are tweaks from game to game, but like the Raptors typically kind of do what they do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think if you boil down the Raptors defensive philosophy to like one concept, it's basically let's find the thing that your offense is sort of built around and let's make that as difficult as possible. Right. It's a disrupt your rhythm, take you out of your timing. And so that doesn't always work, right? Like I I always come back to like that game against the Lakers, right? Where they're like, LeBron wasn't playing in that game. So what's the thing that we're going to take away that your offense theoretically really needs to survive? It's like, we're not going to let Anthony Davis get going. OG is going to guard him and is literally not going to help at all when Anthony Davis goes to screen. It's just going to hug him so he has no chance to roll. And it's an interesting theory. Anthony Davis had a really quiet night. I don't remember what he finished with. He had eight points in that game, and he was averaging, I think, 30 to 35. Right. But other guys on the Lakers went off, and so the yep. Raptors lost. You know, well, like and, and but even even Dar, uh, you know even Ham uh, Darvin Ham, who's like not really considered like an XSL genius or anything like that. By the second quarter, he's like, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to put eighty in ball screens, yeah. and it's going to be a two on one every single time. So in that sense, I think like <laughs> Miami's offense, despite being worse mm. than Atlanta's, is still a little bit more multifaceted. In terms of like the off-ball actions they run, in terms of just like there's variety there that I don't think is quite there with Atlanta's offense. And I know, but Atlanta the- has that spontaneity with like Trey. That that's the thing. The Raptors, whenever they trap Trey, that he just eludes out of those, and then you're really screwed. His, that's his why I'm, I don't I don't I don't, I'm not enjoyed playing Atlanta. His passing ability is a bit of a. I mean, it's it, it's like the kryptonite to the Raptors. Yeah, it's scheme. his like best. Bring, it's the best part of his game. It's he's an he's he's like one of the three best passers in the league. Yep. Um, so that's big, but at the same time, I mean, I, I know it's one game and it's not totally indicative, but like there was a game early in the year when the Raptors turned him over 10 times, Sure, you know, yeah. because they were, they were applying that pressure on him. They were also just using length on him, right? Like precious was his primary defender for a bunch of possessions in that game. So was Scotty. So was OG using length on him, still bringing a bit of pressure, but maybe a little bit less than usual and just sort of like trusting the length on ball. And then. They were just, like, really well prepared in that game. They were, like, jumping all of his passes. Like, their reads were on point. Mm-hmm, I think they mm-hmm. can do that in a way that, like, okay, to fair. me, my, Miami's offense is still, despite not having that one guy who can do that to their scheme, like, their offense on the whole is still a bit more unpredictable to me. And then also, like, if you're thinking about the Raptors' offense and who you trust, oh, yeah. trust them to have more success against, like, I would just worry about them being able to score, especially in the half court against Miami's D. Yeah, Raptors Heat. My, Miami's going to zone them into oblivion. You know that. Raptors Heat for the eight seed would finish like 79-77. Although, to be fair, Raptors Bulls for the, in the first half of the play-in might finish like that. But so you're, saying, like, you're saying take the under on both playing you know, games. Not to be a downer here, but this entire conversation just kind of speaks to how, I won't say depressing, but somewhat pointless it all seems. Like, 
okay, don't get me wrong. It'll, you know, hopefully be a fun atmosphere tomorrow. And obviously, like, the players want to win. And the fans mm-hmm. should want them to, like, at this point, they're there. You want them to win and move on. And who knows? Like, maybe put a scare into Milwaukee. They won't. But <laughs> What they're going to do, say boo? <laughs> but, that's, but that's my point. Like, that's why even just having these conversations, like, oh, if they beat Chicago, uh-huh. you know, who do they have the best chance? It's like, if they beat Chicago, which, though they should win, is very far from a guarantee, then they got to go on the road where they have not been reliable at all this season hmm. and haven't always shown up when, you know, you feel like their back's against the wall and they got to win a game like that. And then if they do those two things, if they check those boxes, they fly to Milwaukee to play the best team in basketball led by the best player in basketball. When they have you seen getting swept, right? Oh no, relax. Come on, man. <laughs> you know, and even it, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's just hard to drum up excitement. That's what happens, though. It's it's one thing when it's like, okay, for example, the Thunder, right? Yeah. As the 10 seed going into that plane. Like, if you're a fan of the Thunder and they kind of, over, not kind of, they overachieved and they're so desperate to get any kind of, like, postseason experience. Right. Them even just getting to the first round. Heck, if they even get swept, but it's a competitive, there's, like, two competitive games. The Thunder, Thunder fans are going to feel really good about themselves. Like, got to the playoffs. They, you know, won the two play-in games. It was exciting. The Raptors situation, even though there's some good young talent, is so different where it's mm-hmm. like, you know, their two best players are in their prime. <laughs> One of them's a borderline all-NBA or in his, you know, is gonna turn 30 soon or 29. And we're talking about if they win the 9-10 game, can they win on the road? And then if they do that, they go play the best team in basketball. It's just yeah. like no, if it's- we're if we're being hundred percent real, the best thing for them would be to lose and get in the lottery, right? Like I mean, they kind of made that decision at the trade deadline, but they chose not to, right? So this is the road they got to, like, play. Yeah, they are here. Point. I'm not saying that they're going to try to lose. I'm yeah, just yeah. saying, if we're being honest here, yeah, oh yeah, the best yeah. thing for the team in the big picture would be to lose this game against the Bulls and to get a lottery pick. Yeah, but, you know, they're not going to do that because, uh, as we mentioned up top, we are giving away a pair of tickets. You guys really helped with the promo on this one, guys. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> no, it's all good. Free tickets. Um, we are giving away a pair of tickets to tomorrow's Raptors playing game against the Chicago Bulls. The code word is Raptors. Just Raptors. All right, text Raptors to 590-590 right now to enter for your chance to win. And, of course, if you don't win with us, make sure you secure your tickets at Ticketmaster.ca. Um, yeah, the playing game. Look, listen, I- I'm excited to see at least what kind of atmosphere – there will be because it's one of those things where, as you mentioned, you got to get there early, yep. right? Because it's at 7 p.m. and Could it's going to be gonna your last chance to see Nick Nurse coach public. The yeah, public wow. service announcement. Could be. It's, Is he going to squat? <laughs> we get there. One early. more squat for for. It's a 7 p.m. tip. I think sometimes the national TV games actually start right at seven, yes. rather yeah, than yeah, like yeah. the seven ten. So right, I'm right. not 100 percent sure if that'll be the case. But regardless, if you're going to the game. I, despite everything I've already said about how hopeless situation is, at this point, they're there. Yeah, of course. You want it to be a great atmosphere. You want to enjoy the fact that it is this unique thing, the first ever play-in game in Toronto, whatever. Like, it's a one-game win-or-go-home thing. So you might as well get there on time, enjoy the festivities, enjoy Mm -hmm. the pregame atmosphere, create some sort of cool atmosphere in the arena. Give, give Damara standing O during player intros. All right, you know, maybe not in the play-in, but <laughs> okay. regardless, that just that's my PSA. Get there. If you're going uh-huh. tomorrow, make the most of it. They are here. It is what it is. Get there on time and just be ready. Be ready for some play-in basketball. Catch the fever. Might get to see play-in P jump up on the scorer's table yeah. at oh, the end of the goodness. game. I've already told Matt Devlin, if, if Patrick Beverly jumps on his scorer's table 
right where Matt Devlin is. I need, I need, I need, I need Matt Devlin to pull like a WWE move and just like pull him off the ropes, man. You need Matt Devlin to be <laughs> don't let him do that to you, Matt. Don't let Patrick Beverly dance over you. Anyway, um, yeah. So the code word is uh, Raptors. Text Raptors to five ninety five ninety for your chance to win tickets. All right, we are going to take a break. I've been your host Willu, and you've been listening to the Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. When we come back, we will preview the rest of the plan. Have you checked out Bet Rivers yet? Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Get in the action this basketball season with thousands of betting options. Plus, don't forget about Bet Rivers Sportsbook award winning customer service. It's a whole new game with Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook. Must be 19 plus, available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Blue. Continue to be joined by Jessica Charles and Joe Wolfon. Uh, listen to Pound the Rock. It's, um, you know, the best podcast covering the NBA at large in Toronto. I'd easily say that. If not Hell to yeah. all of North America, you know. So Appreciate it, man. Is that enough of a plug? I think, I think that's... Yeah. Satisfactory. We appreciate you. Are you guys still editing the podcast yourselves? That's right. Yeah, we alternate. Yes. Whoever hosts, whoever hosts edits. Nice. Yeah. Are you guys still referring to the the Google Doc I left you guys? When I... No, I don't think so. I think when you first left, we did because we yeah. neither one of us ever edited it. Because I was you, you were always editing. editing. Yeah. 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 So I think maybe for the first few weeks we had to go by that. But I thought uh, you guys would be big time now and have and have your own editors. You know, yeah, I'm waiting for an intern. You think? That's the Derek. Yeah. That's the Jr. Waiting, waiting for an intern. All right, that's enough. Anyone talk. wants to reply? No, I'm kidding. No, it's okay. We have a uh, we have we have less than 20 minutes to talk about the remaining two playing series. So we talked about the two in the East. Um, the other one taking place tonight: um, Lakers versus the Timberwolves. Cash, I just feel like this is right up your alley. Um, can I just get your thoughts on Rudy Gobert um, punching another man in the chest during a must-win game 82? I mean. The the issue for me was that he punched and ran. He did the old Carmelo punch and run. If you remember that from back in the old Nuggets Knicks uh, brawl, I do remember and that one. That that, one was that's funny, cowardly man. in its own right. But yep. to do that against your team, like punching and then backing away before the guy can get back to you, is one act of cowardly. But to do that to your teammate in the huddle is another level of cowardly. So that's one. Mm-hmm. Two, the fact that Kyle Anderson said what he said to Rudy Gobert in the huddle of a meaningful game eighty two tells you a lot. It tells you something because maybe in the average locker room argument or something, you can say, okay, he might have crossed the line, but like it happens teammate. But to say that in the huddle of a meaningful game 82, when you know that that, that's how the NBA perceives them, which Draymond then recently said, yeah, yeah. kind of part as well. That's another thing. Um, And then three, I think it just adds to the hilarity of a week and a half ago, Carl Anthony Towns, after a poor performance and a Timberwolves loss yep. in typical Towns fashion, talking about how he was going to talk to the team and he was going to say stuff like about leadership and how it was going to lead to them playing winning basketball. And literally the first game after that, they lost and it was the, when, as 19.5 point favorites to the tanking Blazers, I think. It right, was the right. worst 
uh, NBA biggest NBA upset in like 30 years or mm-hmm. 28 years or something like that. And Towns had took what three or four shots in that game, and then three games after his supposed leadership talk, the team absolutely splinters. Guys fighting in the huddle. Jaden McDaniels breaking his hand on a brick wall. Just because so, he picked up two fouls in nine minutes. What, like, like, yo, relax. Ma- maybe happens, this is man. exactly the time of the, the type of spirit and fire that Carl Anthony yeah. Towns was talking about. Maybe yeah. this is exactly what he wanted to see. Yeah. The guy with the least amount of dog in him in those chest x-rays is, is turns out his leadership talk didn't work. Yeah. Shocking. He got that cat yeah. in him. Yeah. That's what they be saying <laughs> about Carl Anthony Towns. Wow. Um, um, well, I was going to say... You know, to Cash's point about how Kyle Anderson saying what he said in that huddle says something to him. Was it says something to me that they actually went through with the one game suspension? Oh yeah, exactly. Because yeah. you know they t- like, they they definitely talked to the players and they're That's like, right. "What do you guys think we should do?" And they're if like, "If the players yeah, on that team react. wanted Rudy Gobert to play in that game, he'd be playing." Yeah, in exactly. That game. I course. think the players are probably disappointed it was only a one game. No, I'm kidding. Come on. I'm kidding. Got, yeah. But like, th- th- what what's going to be interesting to me is like. Okay, so let's say they lose this game to the Lakers, which I fully expect them to. Yeah, yeah. Man, it, honestly, whatever the Wolves players think about Gobert, whatever fans or analysts think about Gobert and his impact, this would have been a really nice game to have him. Like, the Lakers are a team. Yeah. They're, they're not like a, a big jump shooting team, right? They thrive on getting to the rim. Mm. So having the guy who is still, you know, in spite of the whatever interpersonal issues he may cause and whatever steps back he might have taken this season from his peak, Still, like, one of the five best rim protectors in basketball, mm-hmm. at worst. Would have been really nice to have that guy for this game. So let's say they lose this game, and in no small part because they don't have Gobert there. Or McDaniels, or Nasreed. But, like, okay, we, we can get to that, but, <laughs> but we'll start with Gobert. So they lose this game, and now they have to go, and they'll, they'll play on the... Well, sorry. No, they'll, no, they'll play at home. They'll yeah. play at home. That then Gobert's gonna come back, and after losing that first, you know, playing game, now they have a, a a literal must win, you know, like a winner go home game, and Gobert's just gonna be back, and everything's gonna be hunky dory after that. Like, how's that gonna go? That sets up him for the hero arc, man. The redemption arc. Well, it's right there. Another uh, that's right up Cat's alley too, because Towns' first game back when he hit those free throws, he was saying the same thing. I'm him, the redemption, like all this stuff. It's like. Guys, don't, you, you, you no, want, one, no you, one's him when you're in the play-in, man. It, the, the, this is what I'm saying. Like, the Wolves just reek of, I wouldn't even say front-running because they've never really been close enough to the front to front-run. Yeah. But they kind of have a front-runner's attitude without being good enough to even be a front-runner. And maybe it's unfair for us that aren't, like, in the locker room to say yeah. that says Mid, Mid-runners. They're that's mid-runners. Not, like, says something about Towns, but I do think at some point, even though he wasn't yeah. there for a lot of the season, like, I think there's something rubbing off on the rest of the team from it. Like, he's been there long enough now, and this kind of, I wouldn't even say behavior, because it's not, it, but like this kind of stench mm-hmm. has been there a long time. And when Jimmy Butler hinted at it, and I know a lot of people, like, some people took it to heart, but there were others that said, oh, like, that's just Jimmy being Jimmy. He's kind of right. bullying the young guys. Like, he's being too harsh on them, but... As the years have gone on, and it's not just Jimmy who said it, I think that point has kind of been proven that like Cat's just not that guy as a leader, and I do think it's had, you know, reverberating effects mm. on the team and on the franchise. Yeah, that's fair because like again, they they swapped out everyone else, right? Wiggins is gone. Wiggins had his redemption arc, yeah, right? obviously last season. Yeah, but but, um, but but that can be fine if 
you know, and as he showed when Towns was out this year, is ready to step up and be that guy. And I think he very much is. The franchise is clearly banking on him doing that. Yeah. But can he single-handedly win this game, by the way, tonight? Or no? Not against the Lakers? No, not him single-handedly, but him and Towns together. Like, if Towns actually shows up, then, yeah. There's an argument there. You space out the floor. I think they play better with either center, by the way, in rather than both. Offensively, yeah. Yeah. Defensively, yeah. Well, obviously, Gobert helps. There's no doubt. Well, Okay, so the Wolves are this team that's built around being big, right? Now Towns is like their only healthy big man. Nas Reed is out. Gobert is out. Jaden McDaniel's not a big, but like he was a six foot nine, basically one through four defender who they were probably going to throw at LeBron. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, <laughs> so he's out. Yep. I don't know what they're going to yeah. do now. Like they're, they're this team that's built around being big that is now going to be quite small, you know, playing against a pretty terrifying Lakers front line. It's they're going to be up against it, but yeah, like the the two man game with Edwards and Cat can be really devastating. Like they can kind of stretch the Lakers out a bit, pull AD away from the rim, maybe. Although maybe you just stick AD. Like if the if the Wolves are going to start Kyle Anderson, yeah, yeah, put him there. Put AD on Kyle Anderson. Put Vanderbilt on Towns, and maybe you kind of solve that issue, and you're not getting spaced out. Yeah, I'm not. It's really hard to talk yourself into Minnesota winning this game, especially when the Lakers are not your typical seven seed. Even right. the, even even as the favorite in this game, as the seven in the seven eight. If Minnesota was healthy, I would still say this is a much bigger mismatch than a usual seven eight plan. In their current state, I think this is like I, I would be shocked. I, I actually think this is the biggest mismatch of the four playing games. I, some people might say New Orleans OKC. I don't think so. I, don't I, think, know, to be honest. I think this yeah. is it. And I mean, I've been talking for weeks now. I've written about it. I've done videos about it. Wolf and I talked about it on the pod about how if you look at the eye test, like the way they play, the numbers of this new look Lakers team, for as much as I clowned Rob Palinka, and rightfully so, in my opinion, for the way he had built this team and the front office there and everything. The team that they revamped midseason, mm-hmm. they essentially filled all the holes and like addressed all of their most glaring needs in one fell swoop yeah. on deadline day because the depth issues, the secondary creation issues, the shooting issues have been solved mm-hmm. pretty much by yeah. D'Angelo Russell, uh, Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt, uh, the return of Austin Reeves, who had been hurt, yeah. where now you look at it and it's like they've got, they've definitely got playoff caliber depth. They've got much better shooting. They went from being the worst shooting team in the league. They were they were making less than 10 three-pointers per 100 possessions before the moves. But dead last by a mile. Mm. They're like middle of the pack since the deadline. Two full extra three-pointers per game uh, per 100 possessions made. They have the second best defense since making those moves. Mm-hmm. Um uh between Russell and Reeves uh and Brown the shooting's off obviously there between Russell and Reeves the secondary creation is now there. Yeah. Shooting, defense, secondary creation around seemingly healthy LeBron and AD, they're cooking with something. And, like, they – I'm not saying they're one of the three or four best teams, but, like, I, they went from being, to me, a laughing stock that I would have been surprised if they even made the play in to now, in my opinion, having an actual chance to win the whole thing. I think they have a shot. And if someone had told you that two and a half months ago, you know, and also just shout out LeBron, too, because, you know, 38-year-old LeBron, all the minutes on his body, all-time scoring leader, everything. Mm-hmm. In this era where everyone's complaining about load management every other day and on every show and talking head and whatever. And then LeBron James misses a month with a pretty serious foot injury. Mm-hmm. 
comes back, throws himself into the fire in the middle of a very hotly contested playoff race. And since coming back, played in the Lakers' final eight games, no games off. It included a back-to-back. Plays at least 29-plus minutes in all of eight of those games. Just shout out LeBron for that because... Again, in an era where people are always clowning on superstars for rest days and whatever, for the 38-year-old all-time leading scorer to come back and, and not take a single day off yeah. after missing a month it, and, like, high-leverage minutes, pretty incredible. This not team can win. Not only that, but playing so well during that stretch when AD yeah. was out that he was able to keep the team afloat to the point that it actually made sense for them to go and make those moves at the right, deadline. exactly. No, they like, kind of just got it all together, like, right before the buzzer but yeah. I, I do actually really like the way they're sitting i also think that like obviously getting westbrook there was a mistake but getting him out has really opened up that space for austin reeves to really step into that role and, and really shine and he's been hyper efficient we'll see if they get the same whistle obviously in the playoffs but obviously they, they do a really great job of pressuring the basket and they have a lot of tricky players so no they're just they're flowing really well and oddly enough the lakers vibes are kind of pretty immaculate which is um you know, not what you have ever said about the Lakers for the last two years. But eighteen and eight since uh, Beasley, Russell, and Vanderbilt debuted. The best record in the West. Only the Bucks are better league wide since then. And they went eighteen and eight with LeBron playing eleven of twenty six games. Mm-hmm. So again, like as much as we've clowned the Lakers all year, and and rightfully so for the way they came into the year and their construction issues the last couple of years, do not take this team lightly. Like they very much can win. Okay, so that's that's the headline matchup. The, the the sexy blogger pick, which is what uh, Fran Fraschella infamously said about uh, OGN, maybe Fran or, or, or Jay Billis, one of those two, um, is, is Pelicans Thunder. Um, Wolfon, I'll, I'll start with you, not because I feel like you are the sexy blogger on this panel, but uh, I feel like this is up your alley. What do you like about this matchup? Are, you're saying I'm not the sexy blogger on <laughs> no, this you, panel? No, you, you are. You are. You, you're, you're the most blogger uh, of, of all of us, that's for sure. Uh, okay, so I'm really interested to see, like, the... Pelicans, in terms of field goal percentage allowed, have been the worst rim-protecting team in basketball this year. Damn. Is JV on that team? Sorry. 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 That, that's an argument from 2014. I'm sorry. That just popped out of my mind. I'm sorry. JV had like three or four seasons there where he was like an above-average rim-protector. He was, yeah. Statistically. Was. Uh, this hasn't been one of those seasons, but that's also because the Pelicans have him actually like playing up the level a lot right. more than he's used to. And so it's not all on him, but his rim protection also just hasn't been as good as it's been in past seasons. So... They're going up against this Thunder team that, like, their entire offense is just built around driving the ball. Number one in the league in drives mm-hmm. by a lot. Number one in the league in rim volume. Like, okay, so can you just stop them from getting there, I guess? Because if you're letting them get there a ton and you don't have the rim protection to stop them, I don't know, that's going to be pretty problematic. They do have Herb Jones to throw at Shea. Yep. I mean, you can only really do so much against Shea as an individual defender. Like, there's going to have to be a lot of help involved and... If they can just sort of pack the paint and try to suppress, you know, the Thunder's driving game that way and just bank on the guys around Shea and Giddy and Dort, like guys who really like to get into the teeth of the defense, Jalen Williams, mm-hmm. and just say, you know, like, I don't know, dare them to make shots, basically. Like, that's yeah. the big weakness with the Thunder's offense. Um, I, I guess that's how they're they're going to try and manage it. Um, and, it, it, you know, that has a good chance of working for them. Like, the Thunder aren't a great jump-shooting team. They're going to be on the road for this game. They're untested. You know, they the, most of these guys have never played in a game of this magnitude before. It's pretty much just Shea and, and Dort, right? Yeah, who, yeah, who had that that one playoff run when CP was there. They went seven with Houston. Right, right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think 
but they've got Isaiah Joe and who else on that team is really a shooter that you that you would trust mm-hmm. to kind of make a team pay for loading up in the middle. That's fair. I feel like you could, if this was like, if, if Nick was coaching the Pelicans, would it not be one of those opportunities where you just like hard blitz Shea and, and force him to get rid of the ball? Maybe yeah. not even let him get into the paint. Yeah, know? I think so. But the problem with that is that the Thunder don't run conventional pick and rolls. Like they're, they're mostly having guards screen. And okay. that's because like, you know, they usually have four guards on the floor at one time. And so it's not like, like they barely play any traditional big men. Mm-hmm, yeah. So the, the battleground here is going to be like, okay, can, can the Pelicans punish the Thunder for being super small? Sure. Yeah. Where like maybe JV is like mashing guys in the post and they're running a bit of their offense through him. And I mean, Ingram's, that's the other thing. Like the Pelicans aren't like a big get to the rim team themselves. Like right, right. Ingram. They're and a big pull, pull up in the mid range. Exactly. Yeah. Ingram's been awesome the last he like, two months. Like, he he, has, he sure. was bad and injured for most of the season. But the last like month and a half, he came on like great. He was one of the best players in the league, I'd say, in the last like six weeks of the season. And his playmaking has yeah. been awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, I, I don't know if that is necessarily a weakness that their yeah. offense is built to exploit unless they want to run more of their offense through JV, I guess. But maybe they do. But then it's like at the other end, okay, the Thunder are going to be small and they're going to be moving around fast and setting guard screens and things like that. And like they can make JV really uncomfortable and maybe play him off of the floor. And then, you know, the issue with the Pelicans' lack of like rim protection, I guess, gets magnified that much more. I kind of like the Thunder in this matchup. I feel like it's a good matchup for them and maybe Mm -hmm. not the best matchup for the Pelicans, even though I think the Pelicans are like a better team. Like they have more good players, even without Zion playing. There are more good players on the Pelicans than there are on the Thunder. But stylistically, I think that it kind of favors OKC. That's fair. Well, no, I agree. I was going to say. Um, you got 10 seconds. So. I think Shea against a team that can't protect the rim is trouble for that team. I think even though the Thunder are the biggest underdog of the play-in teams, everything's coming up Thunder for the eight seed. No Zion for New Orleans. All the stuff going on in Minnesota. Thunder coming for that eight seed. That'd be really fun, by the way. I really would love to see Shea in a full series. But uh, anyway, that does it for us today. I've been your host, Will Lou, and you've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Thanks once again to Joseph Kishar and Joe Wolf on Listen to Pound the Rock. Our board producer, Derek Randale, Jennifer Rolnick, for helping with the YouTube stream. We'll be back to talk more about Raptors Bulls tomorrow somehow. <laughs>